0: Morning, church? It's good to see you this morning. Um, Wow, are anybody as tired as I am? (laughs) Yeah, a few people walking around like zombies. It was a whirlwind of a Christmas season, but what a great Christmas it was, wasn't it? One of the best Christmases I can remember with church and and family, and uh, it's good uh, to uh, be facing a new year now. Uh, what we do is we normally do series um, on books of the Bible and we work through uh, the scriptures. We go do an Old Testament series for a season and then we do a a gospel, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John for a season and then we do an epistle, one of the letters for for a season. And we're between two seasons. We wrapped up the Old Testament and soon we'll be starting a series in, in, in the Gospels. And as we wrap up 2015, and look forward to 2016, I wanted to do a church life message. Now, our church life message is basically a message that's not necessarily part of a series. However, it addresses maybe important issues that, are, that the church is, is facing. So, um, here's, here's where we are as a church. God is providing our church family recently providing our church family, I think, with great opportunities that will help us advance our mission in new and more effective ways to lead people to and through a life-changing relationship with Jesus and his family. Now, there is also great potential that we will start having more and more new people this year than ever before, churched or unchurched, showing up become a part of our community of grace here. You know what that means? It means that we will become more and more diverse. More and more people will be showing up that might be different than you. And if you show up and you feel like nobody's like you, guess what? We need you here. Because diversity is a good thing. But I've learned diversity still freaks some people out. It does. Uh, I mean, I think we're in denial about that fact that we become very, it's so easy to become very selective about who we will be in community with, who we will hang out with, who will we identify with because they don't dress like us, they don't like the music that we like or they're a different age or, or whatever. We discriminate so easily and we're totally, completely oblivious to it most of the time. I remember uh, uh, somebody I knew starting a business And just like any businessman who's shrewd, you target a certain, I guess, type of person for strategic purposes. But I was struck when he said, oh, these customers at this place, the kind of people that go there, we don't want them in our place. (laughs) And I was surprised. I was like, wait a second. I mean, it just, it happens in the church as well. We need to be honest about it and address it if we are going to share the hospitality of God. Now, I'm going to unpack that a little bit. I think it's important to remind ourselves that with any new chapter in life, whether it's your personal life or a church or work, whatever, I mean, any chapter in life, even if it's good, there can be fears and frustrations along the way that will challenge our unity. It's going to happen. We need to be ready for it. There can be fears and frustrations that challenge a diversity that should be characteristic of the kingdom of God. Now, my prayer is that we as a church, that we don't dismiss the challenges as unimportant. Or that we don't avoid the challenges, but that we embrace them. Because they're worth it. Because God's kingdom of grace is worth it. And you know what God does with those challenges? God uses those challenges to grow us in Christ-like selflessness and to make us a better reflection of God's diverse kingdom. Now, if this is going to happen more and more here, if we're going to grow in that here, this will require an incredibly strong unity. A unity that I don't think that we can muster up on our own. A unity that must come from the power of the good news of God's grace. So, we have a little bit of work to do this morning. Some of this message will be a little technical, but we're all adults here. Hopefully you had your coffee or Red Bull. You're all awake, and we're going to go through this together. I think it's worth it. I think it's valuable. I think it'll be good for the health of our church. So let's get to it. In ancient times, as most of you know, when kings went out to battle and conquered distant lands, they established kingdom outposts. And the outpost represented the king in far-off lands where the kingdom had not yet been fully established. And the king could be in his capital hundreds of miles away from some parts of his kingdom. So what the king would do is he would set up kingdom outposts that were a visible demonstration to the people there of the reign and rule of that king. Now why do I bring that up? I bring that up because the church, the church is a kingdom outpost. Of God's kingdom, but it's a kingdom of grace. King Jesus has has gone out to battle. However, it is through his death and resurrection that he conquers the enemy. And yet, his kingdom of grace has not yet been fully established, so he's established kingdom outposts to be a visible demonstration of what it looks like when Jesus reigns and rules. Infusion Church, Infusion Church exists to be a kingdom outpost of God's kingdom of grace. We exist to demonstrate to our city what the kingdom of God looks like when King Jesus rules and reigns in our lives. So what does it look like? Well, I'm just focusing on one aspect this morning, and it's this. In Jesus' kingdom, there is a rich diversity of people living in true unity. A rich diversity of people living in true unity. People from every nation, from every language, and every tribe worship and serve God with all of the strengths of each particular culture and none of the sin. And we do it in a way that promotes and strengthens unity. Sad to say, Kingdom outposts, churches in the United States have had a poor record. Martin Luther King Jr. said, the most segregated hour in America is between 11 and 12 o'clock on a Sunday morning. And you know what? That is still mostly true. On the other hand, when God's people have lived together in rich diversity and genuine true unity, You know what happens? Other people see that. It stands out. It's so different than the rest of the world. Other people have been drawn in to worship this God that has made that possible. This is what we see when we look at the church of Antioch. In the first century, Antioch in Syria had a very diverse population of 500,000 people or so. They had racial and cultural differences that created so much antagonism that the city built walls to separate the groups from each other just to keep the peace. But then, the gospel of grace started to spread throughout Antioch. And people from different races and different cultures became followers of Jesus. And they started climbing the walls. They started crossing the dividing walls to meet with each other for worship and fellowship and, and, and friendship and to be family. And you know what? Antioch is the first place where the followers of Jesus were called Christians. And part of that was that they couldn't be labeled with racial or cultural tags. They were a diverse people living in true unity. They were a kingdom outpost that transcended the walls of division. Now, with all my heart, I believe that that is what God calls Infusion Church to be. And the question is, how, right? How in the world can we grow in both unity and diversity? Because usually, face it, we usually pick one or the other, right? I think the text that we just helped, that, we, that we just read can help us. And I know that the text, if you were paying attention to it, sounded a little bit weird about people eating this and not eating that and all that stuff. But you know what? It's a good case study. It's a good case study that shows us three ways that we can become a church that more and more cherishes unity and celebrates God's design for diversity. So, first of all, if you're taking notes with the the insert in the bulletin, um, this passage that we read here illustrates for us that we can make evaluations based on the gospel. Now, this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing. He calls, in this this particular text, he calls one group strong and another group weak. Paul is is making evaluations, and he's expressing these evaluations, even negative evaluations. Usually this point gets overlooked. We read what Paul says in in verse 1, where he says, as for... Um, the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over, over opinions. And your translation might read, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment. And you read that, and it's so easy for us to conclude that what he means is that we shouldn't decide what's right and wrong. And then Paul says in verse 22, the faith that you have, keep Between yourself and God. Your translation might say, whatever you believe about these things, keep it between you and God. And it's easy to conclude that what he's saying is, okay, if there is a right way and a wrong way about a particular issue, you're not supposed to say anything about it. But what's interesting is that Paul is doing exactly what we think he is saying not to do. He's evaluating cultural practices in light of the gospel. And he concludes that one practice is in more is more in line with the gospel than another. And he says, the strong eat everything, but the weak only eat vegetables. So is he like slamming vegans here? Is that what Paul is doing? No. Just like he's not saying the strong eat everything, so gluttony is awesome. Not saying that either. The issue here—it starts to get technical here—but hang in there with me. The issue here was over clean and unclean food. The Old Testament says that Israel was only supposed to eat clean food, and there were lists, right? But in Mark seven, Jesus declares all food clean, and that is what the Apostle Paul is doing. There were two purposes for the clean, unclean laws in the Old Testament. One was to preserve the identity of Israel as a nation, and the other was kind of like a a theological lesson teaching us that to enter into God's presence, we must first be cleansed because he is holy and we are not. And of course, as you go through the scriptures, we see that it is through Jesus Christ that we're cleansed. And so Paul, like Jesus says, in Christ, no food is unclean. But there was a group in the church in Rome that was raised under the dietary laws of the Old Testament for years. And when they heard the gospel, they believed in Jesus as the Messiah. But after centuries and centuries and centuries of of following the clean, unclean tradition, they thought they should just, you know, keep it up. And since they couldn't be sure which meat was clean and not clean, they decided to only eat vegetables. Let's be safe. And Paul says they're weak. Why? Well, only because they haven't drawn out the implications of the gospel to this area of of life. The others who would eat anything he calls strong, and the strong were primarily Gentile Christians who had not been raised with the clean, unclean tradition. Now, I know that all this right now might sound like some kind of petty doctrinal, you know, argument and splitting hairs, and it's all very, you know, uninteresting, but it's, it's important. Let me show you. Uh, this is not the only place that we see it, and I'll connect the dots for you soon. In 1 Corinthians, there's a problem with food again. This time, it's just the opposite. This time, it's the Gentile Christians who are the ones not eating the meat and Paul calls them weak. And the Jewish Christians were eating meat and they're strong. Now let me explain. It has to do with why. Okay? The gentle Christians in Corinth had been raised in pagan religions, and in those religions, meat was offered to idols and then sold at the markets. So out of fear of eating something that had been, you know, offered to idols, the whole idea of eating meat totally freaked out the Gentiles. And the Jewish, Gentile, the Jewish uh, Christians rather said, "An idol's nothing. It's a block of wood. Eat the meat." So, who cares? What's the point of, what's the point of all this? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. <sighs> what we see in this particular passage, it is a very common truth, more common than you may realize. What we see is that cultural and racial differences can totally affect the way that you read and apply the Bible. Cultural and racial differences can totally affect the way that you read and apply the Bible. The culture of one group in one setting can make them strong, but the culture of the same group in a different setting can make them weak. So, here we go. How does all of this get applied to our lives? I'll tell you. Write this down. We need each other. We need each other. With all of our differences, we need each other. We need cultural and racial diversity to see the fuller truth of the gospel, to see a fuller application of the gospel. Because left to ourselves, I'm telling you, we will only see part of it. We'll be blind to so much. But wait, I was raised in the church. I know all the things. My perspective on truth and culture is perfect and complete. And you know what that does? whether you think that consciously or subconsciously it leads you to only be in community with people who happen to have the same limited perspective to the extent that a church is all the same it will be blind yes cultural and racial differences can lead to disagreements in the church so what's the solution the solution Is cultural and racial differences within the church. See, we need each other to see the fullness of the gospel. We need each other to evaluate our own cultural practices. Because some are in line with the gospel, I'm telling you right now, some aren't. If we're all like each other, we just give each other a pass on the things that are not in line with the gospel. Now, the world, the world says this. The world says, no, the way that you get along with people who are different than you is to say that all cultural practices are right. Or, on the other hand, the way you get along with people who are different than you is to make them feel dumb for not agreeing with you so that they will agree with you. Oh, man, you made me feel so dumb. I don't want to be dumb anymore. I think I'll agree with you. So many people take that approach as they clash and, and, and try to persuade people. And the thing is, people who are not in the church and people who are in the church often have the same worldly attitude. It's very common in the church. But Christianity says... The way that you live with people in God's incredibly diverse kingdom, the way you live with people who are different than you, is to be willing to evaluate our cultural practices and perspectives on the basis of the gospel of grace. Together. And we need each other for that. So, that brings us to our second point. We will only grow in this if we enter into relationships with one another. Now, side point here. How many here have driven or attempted to drive a stick shift car? A few of you. You remember the first time that you attempted to drive a stick shift car? What was the most common motion? That happened when you first let out the clutch. Yep, everybody's going like this, right? It's a little bit awkward and you're not used to it and you stall and then you're parked on a hill at a red light and somebody parks behind you and and then you push in the clutch and bash into them and then stall the car and start cussing or crying, one of the two, right? And maybe you're like, I don't understand. I read the manual. I read about how to drive a stick shift car. I should be better. Now, let me tell you something. All the manual, reading about it is nothing until you start putting it into practice. Okay? Right? So we kind of went through the manual. This right here is putting it into practice, entering into relationships with one another, especially people who are different than you. And as you do that, it might feel a little like learning to drive a stick shift car, but it's worth it. It is absolutely worth it. Most people who just didn't get the swing of a stick shift car just gave up and got an automatic. Right? God calls us to persevere in this. Paul says that when we enter into relationships with one another, it involves two things. First of all, accept one another. The first verse we read, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. And secondly, put others, put others first. Paul goes on to say, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. This right here is critical. Absolutely critical. Most people say, you know what? I won't say anything negative about your cultural practices and you're not going to take away from me my freedom to do whatever I want. Paul says the Christian does exactly the opposite. The Christian says, I will respectfully and humbly make evaluations and express them in an appropriate way. But also, I will be willing to adjust my life for your good. This is radically different. This is totally opposite of what we're inclined to do. Paul says to accept one another. He doesn't just say put up with one another. The word translated as accept is better understood as draw in. In other words, draw in people of different cultures and backgrounds and races. Welcome them into your life and grow in loving relationship for your own good. Because the gospel, whatever culture you identify with, will give you the freedom and the power to adapt your life to meet the needs of others who are different than you. This is amazing. Paul Paul calls them weak, a, a negative evaluation, and then says, those who view themselves as strong should not please themselves, but draw near to those who are weak and to bear their burden. Normally, We tell people, I'm not going to hang out with you unless you change and become like this. Then we can hang. That way, I don't have a burden to bear. See, the gospel humbles us. I'll I'll show you how soon, but know this. The gospel, if we believe it, will lead you to adjust your life so that you might get to know and love your brother or sister. And you'll be gentle. And you will be humble enough to learn from them, to listen to them, be patient with them, and try to understand their viewpoint. We may even realize that we're the ones who are wrong. Imagine that. Now, if you're sitting there, listen to me rant, rave, sweat, all that, spit, wondering, why is he making such a big deal about this? What's the big deal about, you know, differences in cultures and races and backgrounds and all that? I know a lot of people from different races and cultures, and everything's just fine. Well, if that's what you're thinking, that this is, I'm making a bigger deal of it than I should, and you think that, you know, it shouldn't be a big deal, you know what it means? It means that you are completely oblivious to your blind spots. Or... It means that you idolize your own cultural values. And we assume too much. Usually, we're assuming that we're right and they're wrong, and that's the way it is. And my job is to tell them how wrong they are, and then maybe email them a bunch of articles that we got off Facebook or something. It's totally easy to miss the big deal. That's why I'm so grateful, so thankful for the people God put in my life. Over the years, many brothers and and sisters of of different races and cultures and backgrounds have welcomed me into a relationship with them, and they were the strong. They welcomed me into a relationship with them in my life weakness. I couldn't even see my weakness. I was oblivious to them. I didn't know how much I didn't know, but they made room in their life for me anyway. They saw my weaknesses, but they made room in their life for me anyway. They adjusted their life and their preferences and the the, the way they would approach, you know, conversation to, to show me love. And it was through their friendship with me that I was able to start seeing more and more of my blind spots and my culture and strengths and theirs. And you know what? God uses that to grow me in my understanding of the gospel and how to apply it. Now, I still don't fully get it. I'm telling you that. But at least sometimes I'm aware that I don't get it, and that's progress. So, strive for gospel-centered relationships with one another, especially people who are just different than you. Even if it makes you feel uncomfortable. Do you understand what we're talking about here? I mean, we're talking about one of the biggest problems the world is facing today. How do you unite with people of different races and cultures? This issue has been escalating in the world, if you have not noticed. It's been escalating. And in light of the seriousness of the problem and the pervasiveness of the problem, many have completely lost hope for any solution. That's just the way it is. Better start building some walls. That brings us to our third point. Be filled with hope by focusing on Jesus. You know what? This right here is what puts everything in focus for us. Everything about our lives and the world into perspective. Paul says in chapter 15, verse 4, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Paul says it is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that gives us great hope. We're not so much talking about what it is that we can accomplish. We're talking about the kingdom of God and what King Jesus can accomplish. What he has accomplished. We're talking about the hope we have and God's promise that the king will return. (laughs) See, all great stories are based in a truth that I think resonates with our soul. For example, so many stories about the the good and true king returning to make all things right. And our king will fully establish, fully fulfill his kingdom of grace. And you know what? The apostle John got a glimpse of that kingdom and writes about it in the book of Revelation. He says this. He says, after this, I looked, and there before me, was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. This is incredible diversity. And they cried out in a loud voice, in one voice, in perfect unity. They worshipped and they said, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, listen, this is our hope because salvation belongs to our God. A new kingdom is coming and it may not happen you know for a very very long time but it's getting closer every day and even now in their midst it is advancing king jesus has his kingdom outpost his he is gathering together groups of followers who are already living under his rule and reign and grace and we're not living it out perfectly yet but we do have this confidence that one day we will when our king returns he will set everything wrong in the world right that is our hope and if you believe that it would change it would change everything so how in the world can we have this hope well if you're a Christian you know we have that hope because of the cross and what do we see when we look to the cross we see at least a couple of different things First, we see God's honest and gracious evaluation of us. That we are so totally weak that we can do nothing to save ourselves. That is not an insult. It's just a diagnosis. It took nothing less than the death of God the Son to save us. But secondly, we see the only strong one making room in his life for us. Accepting us. And drawing us into a relationship by sacrificing himself for us. We could not be more different. And yet he reached out to us. That great sacrifice. So that when his kingdom of grace fully comes into this world, we will be counted among those around the throne in that passage I just told you. It is the gospel and our grateful response to it with loving obedience that truly unites the most diverse people from around the planet that the world has ever seen. So let me ask you this morning, are you a follower of King Jesus? Are you loyal to his kingdom of grace and his values? If you're not a follower of King Jesus, then then I urge you to look to the cross. Consider what the cross says about your weakness, not as an insult, but as a diagnosis. And then also consider what the cross says about the king's love for you, that he's willing to sacrifice himself for you to give you life. And then by faith, trust him as your savior, trust him as your king, and join with others in following him. Do it today and know that you are welcome here. You are absolutely welcome here. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, I urge you also to look to the cross. God's word says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So, right now, I want you to think in very specific terms, all right? Don't think about anything else right now. I want you to think about who is it that God wants you to adjust your lifestyle for, your preferences for in order to draw them in. Is there somebody <laughs> Is somebody coming to mind? Or you think, "Oh, just the thought of that person exhausts me." Who is it that God wants you to adjust your lifestyle for? Who have you been avoiding? Who is it that you don't want to identify with because of whatever reason? Maybe you just don't want to welcome them in or learn from them. Maybe you don't want to be united with them, identified with them. Maybe it's just plain old-fashioned snobbery and you look down on them. Is it because they're a different race? or maybe they look just like you in almost every single way they're just from a different culture a different political party a different church background with different ways of doing church you know what here's what I think the problem is and I'll close with this usually it's our fear of people who are different from us that keep us from loving them and listening to them. But God in the scriptures teaches us that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So, for those of you who are committed to Infusion Church as, as your church family, I'm asking you, will you join me in recommitting ourselves to being a kingdom outpost of God's grace? as we anticipate new people showing up and not just being concerned with with ourselves. Will you help me demonstrate the presence of the coming kingdom as we climb the walls of division and accept one another, just as Christ has accepted us? I believe that this is what God wants us to become, and I believe that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. That you were gracious enough to reach out to us. That you got out of your comfort zone and reached out to us. You sacrificed for us so that we could have a relationship with you and know your perfect peace and the joy that we have in you that can come from nowhere else. God, help us to be overwhelmed by that grace. Help us to be uh, humbled by that grace and then filled with courage to extend that grace to others. Forgive us for for just being so guarded and keeping uh, the walls up. God, I pray that you would tear them down. God, I pray that you would give us the humility to... Ask you to give us insight into our own sin and into our own prejudices. Forgive us for the sin of not thinking that we have any. It's rooted in arrogance and pride, self-righteousness. God, I pray that you would make us a humble people, a gracious people, people confident in you and your kingdom and your grace and God I pray that as we are given opportunities to apply this that we wouldn't give up that we wouldn't avoid it that we wouldn't think oh it really should not be this difficult and then just tap out God, I pray, Lord, that you would give us the grace to engage and be persistent and that we would esteem others better than ourselves as we are commanded to do. And God, I pray, Lord, that all of our speech, all of our writing, all of the the way our attitudes towards other people would reflect that, the grace that, that you have shown us. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would continue to draw people to yourself. We thank you for the privilege and and the honor to be a part of your kingdom and to be involved in that. May we be a faithful representative of King Jesus. A people filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. And gentleness and self-control. And God, I pray if there's anybody here that has not put their trust in you yet, who has not trusted you as their king, as their deliverer, as their source of joy that they are looking for, God, I pray this morning that you would give them the ability, that you would give them the courage to trust you and start trusting you this morning. To become your disciple, to become your follower and then just know the peace that that passes all understanding and may we welcome the man with open arms and we pray that you would get all the glory we pray this in your name